If you're following us this morning in the, in the Church Bible, um, you can find the reading starting on 1049. The reading is Luke chapter 15, verses 25 to 32. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks be to God. And now Peter's going to come and uh, preach to us. Just pray. Yeah. Father, thank you for. Peter and for his study of your word but Lord we pray that you would come amongst us now if we think well we're never the elder brother and it's not us Lord open our right open our ears to hear you and what you have to say to us in the name of Jesus amen amen thank you sir Peter Roy uh, isn't here today, he's at Rockwood Iron doing some uh, work at Rockwood Iron, but I just thought I'd let you know something that's happening this week with the uh, youth group. Um, uh, we're going to a Wren Collective concert on Thursday night in Stoke, uh, and uh, the, the, some of us who are slightly older than the youth are going because we need to drive them there, so, um, but we, we're joining in with that, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe get Peter to give us a bit of a, uh, a summary of how it went next week, but just to let you know that that's going on as well this week, so do, do pray for us. <laughs> as we go to that and it'll be a great time so we're in the, we're in the, uh, the third of this uh, five week series looking at the parable of uh, the prodigal son it's called uh, but under the heading of the series titled the prodigal God and uh, you, you know if you've been listening to me you might think oh no not another, not another one on this, on this parable but uh, you know why is he repeating himself well another preacher was asked the same question and he replied to the questioner uh, by saying, if I thought they'd got it the first time round, well, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be preaching it again, would I? So maybe that's the case, I don't know, but uh, Jesus does it as well. Uh, he tells, in this chapter, three parables with the same theme, the same theme of lostness going through them, spiritual lostness. 
And so he tells a story of the lost sheep, first of all, and then the lost coin, and then this story that we're considering about two lost sons. And last week, I was trying to put across the idea that both sons are lost. In fact, both sons are lost because both are alienated from the father. Both are away from the father, and they are wanting not the father, but they want his things. They want his property. And uh, last week we were emphasizing, I was emphasizing particularly that the younger of the two brothers, the, the, the one who goes off and uh, leaves this rebellious and immoral and uh, uh, prostitute uh, loving life, and, uh, and yet the father goes out to welcome him home. This week we're going to focus on the other son, the elder brother. And we're going to look at this, this son who is the law-abiding of the two, the one who keeps all the rules, the one who lives by the book, who never sets a foot wrong. And we'll see that that is why this, this parable is so startling and so surprising. Uh, many of you who have been Christians longer than I have uh, will have heard this story preached on a lot of times, many times, I would, I would have thought. And, and probably most of the times the preacher's focused on the younger son, the one who goes off and leads this immoral life, you know, leads that, gets to the point when he's at the, the, the down in the dumps, comes back to the father, the father forgives him and throws a party. However, look at the text and you'll see that probably, maybe not half, but a good chunk of the parable is focused on the elder son. And it, it doesn't end with the, 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 the party, it ends in fact, with this dialogue that, go, that goes on between the, the older one and the father. And, and Jesus is, is driving home the point that both sons are lost, both are away from the family, and in fact, both are assaulting the family. And yes, we get the point that the younger one is lost, we get that, that he's forgiven, but we don't so much get this elder son dynamic that's going on, and that he needs to come back to God, he needs to ask for forgiveness. And so we'll think about four things, and this is the next slide, here we go. Four things we need to look at today and consider uh, in our lives as well. So let's, we'll think about this new understanding of lostness. Uh, we'll think about the, the signs of this lostness. We'll think about what we might do about that condition, and then fourthly, we'll try and apply it to ourselves. So number one, a new un understanding of lostness. Uh, it's verses 25 to 28 particularly where we find that. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So there's no doubt about it, the, the, the older one who's out in the fields or is, a, is away from the house, he knows that there's a party. Uh, there's no doubt about it, he's heard the music, he's heard the dancing, uh, he would have heard the preparations, he'd have, have heard the, the noise. And we're told that it is a big party. This is a, you know, if you've ever thrown a party, this isn't just your, you know, average run of the mill, maybe invite a few friends around party. This is a party where you invite the whole street. In fact, you invite the whole village. You invite anybody who wants to come. This is a big party. It is a, an amazing party. And we also know it's a, a, a really special party because of what they're eating, the fattened calf. That means that it is a very, very important party. You don't do that at a run of the mill party. That's kept for a very special occasion. 
And yet the older son refuses to go in and join them. Now remember, again, the cultural background that this is happening in. This is a patriarchy. This is a, this is a, a culture where the father is really respected, looked up to, honoured. He is the head of the household, absolutely, no doubt about it. And so the younger son, by saying, I'm not going to go in, is again going against convention. He is not obeying his father. He's saying, I'm not coming in. And so because he's not going to come into the party, the father has to go out to get him. He has to go out to plead with him. Just like the father goes out to plead and, and to find the younger son, he leaves the home and he, and he goes out and he, he looks. This, him, this is him again going out to find a lost son. And so do you, do you see, this is the, absolutely driving the point home. The older son is lost. And so Jesus is saying the father represents God and, and the feast is the party of salvation and the story is about what's going on in this party and around and about it. The younger one comes into the party, joins in, he is the centre of attention, if you like, but the older son doesn't, and he's lost. Now notice where it ends, the story ends. At the end of verse 32, that's it. We don't know what happens next. We don't know whether the older son comes back in, we don't know. But that's, the, that's where the story ends. That's it, full stop. The son is lost. Now the Pharisees, you see, as they heard this story, they would again, they've already been gobsmacked once or twice, they're going to be about to be gobsmacked again. And they would have said to themselves, you know, you can't finish the story there, that's, you know, that's not acceptable. But Jesus is the master storyteller and he finishes the story at that point. And they would have been saying to themselves, probably to each other as well, you know, this isn't, you know, this is not acceptable. This is the good son, he needs to be saved. So what is keeping him out? It's this. Verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed you. And so he is the good son. He's the well-behaved son. And he's not lost in spite of his good behavior, but because of his good behavior. It's not his sin that's keeping him out, it's his righteousness and so Jesus is is telling us something about the gospel in fact he's explaining to us trying to get us to understand something about the gospel and something about lostness and he's saying that the gospel is not about religion and it's not about irreligion it's not actually about being good and it's not about being bad it's not about morality, it's not about immorality. No, the gospel is something different to all those things. It lies in its unique category. We'll come back to that in a moment. But the question is this, why is the elder son lost? Well, obviously the younger son is lost because he broke the rules, he goes off, does his own thing, uh, wastes money and so on and so on and he does all this despite the fact he's broken his father's heart and yet by the end of the story it's not the only one who's broken the father's heart actually it's the older son who also breaks the rules and does what he wants to do 
And so we begin to see that the older one, the older son, wants the father's things. He doesn't want the father. He wants his property. He wants his money. And he's jealous of the younger son having that share. And in fact, jealous of the fact that the younger son comes back and is dressed in the best robe and put a ring, and there's a ring that's put on his finger and he's given a feast of the highest order in his honor. And the truth is, the older son also wants the father's things. He doesn't want his father, in fact. He doesn't want that relationship with his father. He wants the father's things. And so you begin to see this. There's actually a manipulation going on. Or the, 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 the older one is trying to manipulate the father. So by being good, staying at home, by obeying all the rules, he's saying he's earned the right to tell his father what to do with his possessions by having obeyed him all the time. And so what we see is there's two ways that we can try and get control of God. Two ways we can try and get God to give us what we want. Two ways to be our own saviour, as Tim Keller says. The first is doing what the younger son does, going off and breaking all the rules. The second way is keeping all the rules and obeying God, obeying the law, etc. And it's actually like this, and we don't often want to admit it to ourselves. If I can be so good, if I can be so holy, if I can pray all the right prayers, if I can read my Bible enough, if I can do all the right things, then God will give me what I want. He will have to do that. And in fact, what we do is we begin to bargain. There's a bargaining going with God. And in fact, as, as Tim Keller said in that little excerpt, what we're doing is we're making ourselves our own saviour. We're putting ourselves in that place of saviour. So that's this new lostness that Jesus is trying to describe to his audience. And so let's look at the signs of it. How can we tell this is going on in, in, in his, this elder brother's life? So let's look at verses 29 and 30. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Jesus is describing an out and out elder brother type. The ones who, you know, they go to church, they read the Bibles, they pray and so on and so on and so on. But it's about getting God to do what we want him to do because of our obedience and our duty. And it's, 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 a, it's not actually grasping the gospel. What does the gospel actually mean? And, and there are many Christians, there are Christians who are in this category of elder brothers or being elder brother-ish. There's a, there's a sort of a head knowledge that, you know, the head knowledge that it's by grace, it is by grace, it's up there, but actually hasn't, permeated to down here to the hearts it's a kind of well I've earned it I've, you know it's up here I've earned my salvation I've done enough I've ticked all the right boxes I've earned it so therefore God you will jolly well do what I've told you to do that's the way it is and so the signs of, of, of that sort of attitude are these and Jesus points them out to us firstly uh, he describes a deep anger verse 28 the elder brother became angry older brothers believe that God gives us, owes us, should give us a comfortable life. That we shouldn't have pain, we shouldn't have suffering, we should have a comfortable life. That's what elder brothers deserve, demand. 
And so they'll say, I've, I've lived a good life, I've, I've done everything right, I've never sort of set a foot wrong, so therefore, God, you owe me a favour. And when God doesn't do that, they get angry. And they start doing what the Pharisees are doing, it's the grumbling and the growling and all that sort of thing. But Jesus, consider Jesus. Jesus gave up everything for us. He suffered more than you or I will ever suffer, and yet he still came to earth for us. So there's a deep anger. That's one sign of, of this elder brotherishness. A second sign is a mechanical obedience. Verse 29, the, the elder brother says, all these years I've been slaving for you. It's a sort of mechanical, you know, I've done all the right things and I'm going to get God to do what I want him to do. There's no delight in it. And there's no joy. Uh, our two girls, Naomi and Miriam, are learning the piano. In fact, Naomi's been learning for a few years. Miriam's uh, just begun learning and they have lessons each week and I've never, I've never learned a, a, an instrument to any degree at all I learned the recorder when I was about 9 or 10 and I sort of gave it up because it just didn't kind of happen so I just gave it up but I, I've watched my two girls learning in a piano now for, for a fair while and you know if you've ever done this with a child or with someone else you know have you learned have you done your lesson today have you learned your piece have you gone to the piano and have you practiced have you have you done what you should have done have you done what the teacher said you should do and it's a kind of a you know it's a duty almost isn't it but it has to has to happen I can't say this from first-hand experience because I've never tried it but I would imagine there's a sort of you've got to you've got to practice to get better but I would imagine probably if you learn an instrument to that level, there, be, there comes a time when it's, it's a joy, there's a delight in it, there's a freedom in it. Because you can do it, you know, without the effort. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as a complete amateur, I don't know, you'd have to tell me if I'm wrong. But I would imagine there comes a, ti- a time of joy and delight. But the elder brother, you see, is stuck in that place of roteness, of, you know, it's just difficult, it's hard work. There's not a lot of joy in there. So that's another sign of, 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 of that elder brotherishness. Thirdly, there's a coldness to the younger brother types. See how he refers to his, his brother. He calls him this son of yours. You know, he doesn't even say my brother. He says this son of yours. This is your son, dad. It's not, you're not even referring to him as his brother. And so he's judging this, this younger brother. He's saying, look, he's, he's done this way of living that's absolutely wrong. And he's disdainful of him. The writer Richard Lovelace says this. People who are no longer sure God loves them and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness, and a defensive criticism of others. Lastly, there's a lack of assurance of the father's love. He says, you never even gave me a young, a young goat so I could have a party. In other words, you never threw me a party. And so whether there's a sense uh, in us, if we can admit to it, that actually we're unsure God loves us. We don't really know if God loves us. And if there is that insecurity then we'll always try and earn it we'll try and get it by merit you want to be patted on the back you know well done rather than just knowing God loves you what are the signs of this well this is a sure one every time you pray for something 
and it doesn't come your way, you'll think, oh, maybe I've not been good enough. Maybe I haven't deserved the answer to that prayer. Another one is guilt. An irresolvable feeling of guilt. However hard you try, you just don't feel accepted and loved. Or maybe it's when you feel criticized. And you just, it's not just that you feel a bit down and a bit sort of, you know, mm, but it's like the whole world has come crashing down on you. These are signs, symptoms of this condition, elder brotherishness. So let's, let's think about what we can do about it, if, if that is a place we might be in. The first thing is to realize that the gospel is unlike any other philosophy, it's unlike any other code, it's unlike any other principles that the world has to offer us. Jesus, notice, Jesus ends the parable, as I said, unresolved. It's, it's the unfinished story. We don't know whether the older brother comes into the party or not. We don't know. And I think, I think the reason is, and I think Tim Keller is really helpful at this point in helping us to see why that is, it's, it's because Jesus wants us to see, actually, that the condition that this older brother is in is actually even more dangerous than the condition that the younger son is in. Do you get what I'm saying? Because if you tell an older brother that, they, that they're far from God, if you think about that condition of being an older brother, if you say that you're far from God, the most likely response that they're going to say back to you is that they're going to say, I'm not. I'm not far from God because I'm good. If you know, if you know you're ill, if you know you're sick, if you know you've got a condition, then most likely is you're going to see a doctor. But if you don't know you're ill... If you don't know you're sick, well, you may not go and see a doctor and you may die. And so the elder brother type of religion works on the basis of this. I obey, therefore God accepts me. But the gospel works on the principle of God loves me, therefore I obey. It's the other way around. Completely other way around. And so you, there's, different, there's, an op- there's a set of opposites you see going on. And, and we see that in church. It's, it's people who, you know, mechanically will say, look, I read the Bible, I pray, I give my time, I give my money, I do this, I do that. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't growing. There's an anger, there's a resentment, there's a disdain. But on the other hand, if you, if you have accepted that God loves you, then the, the Spirit can grow those wonderful fruits of joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on. And so it's about beginning to understand that the gospel is different to how we think it should be. That's the first thing. The second thing, and a lovely thing to do, is to realize the vulnerability of Christ here as he tells his parable. Again, remember, he's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to those who are against him. He's talking to his enemies. These people are out to get him. They're out, in fact, to kill him. That's what they do in the end. And so he is incredibly bold by telling this story because they're right in front of him. He's telling them a story that's appealing to them and saying, come back to God. You're breaking the Father's heart. Very, very vulnerable at this point is Christ. And yet also he's very tender. He's reaching out to them. He's not angry at them, he's tender, he's loving. He doesn't smite them as he, as he could have done as God. No, he's appealing to their nature. He's saying, come back to me. 
He says, my son, look at verse 31, my son. That's Greek, technon, my child. He's appealing to them. And so in fact, what is this? This is in Christ's mind. We can't know Christ's mind, of course we can't. But perhaps in Christ's mind, there's a foreshadowing of the moment of, a, of the cross. Where Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He could have blasted them off the face of the earth, but no, he forgives them. He is appealing to them, tender to them. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross says we're so lost, so messed up, so mixed up in sin. There's nothing less than the death of the Son of God that can save us. But yet he still goes to the cross gladly because he loves us. So you see there's, there's, there's challenge and there's tenderness, there's humiliation and affirmation going on in the story. It's only when we hear Jesus speaking to us in that way that we can be rescued from that elder brotherishness. Fourthly, lastly, what might it mean for us? What might it mean for you? What might it mean for me? Uh, I've, I've preached this sermon before and I've, uh, I've studied this series before and every single time I get to this particular sermon, this particular point, I am really challenged, really challenged because it's, it does speak to us, I think, very much as Christians. And they say, preach the sermon to yourself before you preach it to anybody else. And I've done that this week but what might it mean to us as a church what might it mean to us as individuals let me just talk about two things very quickly as I finish firstly by no sense is there a license in this to go around to anybody else and say oh you're such an elder brother aren't you uh, you know there might be there might be you know you might think oh they know there's such an elder brother but Jesus says this doesn't he remember what he says remove the plank from your own eye before you take out the speck in your brother's eye so, you know, we mustn't say that to anyone because we don't have the right to say that. It's the Spirit of God who, who might convict us of anything to do with this at all. That's, that's the Spirit of God's work in our lives. Secondly, and this is most certainly a challenge to me, this parable speaks about getting involved with those who are lost. Getting involved with those who are poor getting involved with those who are away from God. Now, it doesn't actually just mean the poor, and it does mean the poor, but it means just not the poor. It means those who are middle class as well, because the middle class are lost, let me assure you. You know, they think they've got it all sewn up and, you know, sorted. But those who are lost, those who are away from God, and this challenge, it's a challenge in this parable to get involved with those who are away from God. To speak, to the, to speak the gospel into their lives, to live the gospel amongst them. When did I do that last? Well, that's a challenge to me. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There's a challenge to get involved in the world. And so when the next time we, you, know, you meet somebody who might be poor, might be on the, on the street, might be on drugs, or might just be lost in any other sort of way, let's not look down our noses and say, well, I've got it sorted. Let's get involved. Let's live a life like Jesus amongst them. Remember Jesus, the one who is the ultimate rich man who became poor for us so that we who are poor could become rich in him. Let's pray.
Father, again, that we, we stand in humility under your words. And we again are confronted by so many truths that we maybe didn't even know existed in this story. And we hear what it took for you to come and seek us out. You who were rich, you who, Lord of the universe, came into this world to seek and to save the lost. You who have pronounced forgiveness over us because of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. We can be counted as rich. Father, help us to consider our lives in the context of this story and where we stand with you. Where we stand with you perhaps in saying to you that we deserve, we should have. Lord, help us to have open hands and open hearts before you to receive to receive your forgiveness, to receive your, the gifts of the Spirit that you want to grow in our lives. Lord, come amongst us, we pray. Doing us as you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.